We've been talking about chasing carrots, the endless pursuit of more, and how we often chase, uh, chase something, thinking that it's going to deliver, give us something uh, that it actually can't deliver on. We're trying to reach the unreachable. Uh, we just keep chasing this carrot that's dangling in front of us. If I just had this, if I could just have that, if this would just change in my life. And, uh, and, it, and it's these lies that we believe uh, that there's something out there that can uh, actually satisfy something in here. We talked about money and stuff. We talked about our pursuit of perfectionism, our pursuit of fame. Uh, and this morning, we're, we're going to be talking uh, about comfort. Now, we live in a culture that is obsessed with living our best life. I just want to live my best life, and I want the whole world to know that I'm living the best life. And, uh, and there, there's a company, even, that will fake a vacation for you. If you can't live your best life, uh, and you can't get to that place that you think would just make your friends in awe of how awesome your life is, you can actually pay a company. There's a company out there, $49.95. Uh, you send them a picture of you and your family, and they will fake that vacation for you so you can convince your friends of the best life that you're living. Now, this is great news for me because i got goals in life, places I want to visit, and I don't know if I can get there. Uh, but with this, you know, I can, I can visit the Egyptian pyramids. My best life. No, Disney, Disneyland's a little expensive, and uh, it's a little out of the way, and it's not, uh, I heard it's not as fun as you think it is, so why don't I just stay here and just convince people that um, I am living my best life. And for a guy that's afraid of heights, I look awfully calm on that roller coaster. Or instead of going across the, the con, con, or going to another continent, maybe going to Africa, going on a safari, I don't have to do that. I can just stay in my living room. Now, let me ask you a question. Why, why is this actually a thing? You know, isn't it, isn't it crazy that this is actually a thing that we would pay a company money, um, and you might think that's not a very good product. I, I did that on my own computer, so that I don't want to, they probably do a far better job of convincing you. Uh, but how is this actually a thing that we could pay a company money to lie for us to convince our friends, that we're living an awesome life. We're obsessed with this idea. And it's, it's just propped up uh, by this game of comparison that is uh, just feeding our culture, you know, the, the comparison that happens in social media. And often, um, where this leads us to is wanting a life that's comfortable, wanting a life that uh, is easy. And we're, we're going to take a look at uh, a verse to start here in 1 John. And John, if you know the story of John, John's one of Jesus' inner disciples. Uh, he, he's referred to as the beloved disciple, and he refers to himself in his own writings as the beloved disciple because he just knows that he's, he's kind of in the inner circle with Jesus. He saw everything. He saw Jesus' miracles. He listens to Jesus' teachings. He saw, uh, was there at the crucifixion. He was there after the re- resurrection. And so uh, he is right there. And I think uh, he has some things to teach us and tell us about this pursuit of comfort. And 1 John, he says, do not love this, do not love the world. Everybody say the world. Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Ouch. The love of the Father is not in him. So 
We read this and we do not love the world. And if you're anything like me, you feel bad when you read this. You know, I love, you know, I love my stuff. I love my house. I love, uh, you know, I love, you know, things in this world. And is that so bad? You know, this is telling me that I don't have the love of God in me if I love the world. And uh, we have to read this in the context that is written because John also wrote, wrote John 3.16, which says that God so loved the world. Um, so God loves the world. There's actually nothing inherently wrong with the world. In fact, the Bible tells us that the world God created is good. And so what this is referring to is not the world in terms of the gifts that God has given us, uh, but 17 times in the book of 1 John, John uses the world in this, the context of referring to it as the systems of this world, the values of this world, the spirit of this world. Do not, do not love the values, the message of this world. Do not buy what it's trying to sell you. This is really what John is saying. And if we pay attention to the values of our world, the message of this world, uh, what we'll find is in our culture, what we want is we, we want enough stuff to be happy, right? We want enough affluence to do what we want, when we want, with whoever we want with. And we've talked about that, we, you know, a couple weeks ago, we talked about money and stuff. But we could add on to it what we want, when we want, without pain, without suffering, I don't want any challenges. That would be the message of this world. Have whatever you want, whenever you want it. You can have it. Uh, we want you to be comfortable, and you can have it all without suffering, without pain, without struggle. Here it is. So basically what the world is saying, we want to give you a life where you don't need God. We want to give you a life where you have no dependency on God whatsoever. No matter who you are, it can make a pretty safe bet that everyone in this room has a desire for a life more defined by ease than struggle. Yes? I, I, if I were to chat with you, you'd say, you know, I would like a, a life more defined by ease than struggle. Uh, you know, and I can prove this because we, all, we actually drift automatically towards lazy inactivity. How many, how many uh, guys in this room are married? Okay. There... Uh, how many of you ladies are married to a guy that put up their hand? Okay, so, you know, remember that time when you were dating and he used to write you poems? Anybody? Little love letters? That started not to happen, right? You just, you know, there, there might be a few exceptions out there. It, it started not, not to happen. Remember when he made you a mixtape of, like, your favorite love songs? And for you young people that don't know what a mixtape is... Uh, it's like a playlist, except it took way more work than a playlist. Uh, what happened over time? You just lazily drifted towards inactivity, stopped trying maybe as hard as he used to, and now it just seems like a lot of work for him just to get off the couch and get to the supper table some nights, right? We just drift that way. You know, and, and girls, you're not off the hook. Uh, if, if, put up your hand if you just put up your hand. You're married? Some, some of you ladies are married? Okay. Um, no, there used, to be day, there used to be a time when you shaved your legs every day. Can I get an amen? No, I just... And now... Yeah, now... 
No comments. That, that's not a comment on my wife. My wife shaves her legs every day. Uh, she, ke she keeps putting in the effort, uh, regardless of what I do. We, we drift towards inactivity and ease, and we, we try and pursue comfort, thinking it's going to deliver, but this, this is a counterfeit comfort. It's counterfeit, and a counterfeit means a close representation of something that has value, but it has no value. If you look at the actual definition of counterfeit, I looked it up this morning, it says made in the exact imitation of something of value with the intention to deceive. Counterfeit. When we, when we pursue the comforts of this world, it says, you know, if you could just have this, if you, know, if you could have this comfortable life, then you could be satisfied, then you'd be happy, then you could, you know, live your dream life, live your best life. Uh, if we find ourselves chasing counterfeit comfort, this reveals our spiritual emptiness. I know that sounds harsh, but, but 1 John says, if you love the world, then the love of the Father is not in you. And that, now, again, it's not saying if you love stuff in this world, God's love is not in you. What it's saying is to the degree that you look for comforts of this world to satisfy the longings of your heart is the degree that you have not let the love of the Father penetrate your heart. To the degree that you look for things in this world to give you only what God can give you, indicates the degree to which you haven't let the love of God transform your heart. Chasing counterfeit comfort reveals spiritual emptiness. Because there's nothing out there that can satisfy the longings of my heart in here. And you can see this, uh, actually, uh, the Apostle Paul wrote this. He said, Christ's love compels. Everybody say compels. Compels us, since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves, but they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. So it compels us, or some translations say controls us, uh, but what it's really saying is there's something from the inside out that is driving us. Not the outside in. Right? It's not something out there that we are trying to attain and we're trying to chase. But Paul is saying there is something, the Spirit of God that has, has penetrated our hearts, that has transformed us, and it is compelling us. It is driving us forward. If you're chasing something out here or out there, it may mean that you're lacking something in here or that you haven't quite understood fully the love of God for you. If this is true... And I believe this, that following Jesus leads to discomfort. Now, I, you know, there's a lot of messaging out there that would tell you otherwise, that, you know, follow Jesus and then you can live your best life. Well, let's not confuse best life with the definition of culture's definition around comfort. Because I believe that God's called us for a best life that's beyond comfort. And, and I think when we follow Jesus... Because he cares about the brokenness in our lives and in our world, if we follow him, we will automatically begin to follow him into uncomfortable places. We just listen to story after story after story of how you, you, you could hear uh, the, the compelling uh, that you know, Jake felt about going to El Salvador, or Dave felt, or the others felt, of, of what God was doing in them and through them, that they were uh, driven places of discomfort. And so when we follow, follow God, we should not be surprised that our life begins to get a little uncomfortable. 
2 Corinthians, it says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of what? All comfort. So it's not that this is not a God of comfort. It's just that our definition of comfort, our definition of what a best life looks like is awfully distorted by what the world, the system, the value, the spirit of this world is telling us. The world says, this is a comfortable life. And God says, I am the God of all comfort. You actually find full comfort, your best life in me. But if we keep reading, why does God comfort us? Why does God comfort us? He comforted us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. God comforts us so that we can comfort other people who are experiencing trouble. I want you to watch this video, and it's a, it's a nice, cute little video about a ship, but I, I think you'll realize that it's actually a parable about many of our lives. Once a great ship was built. It was strong, mighty, something to behold. And it was given a great purpose, to deliver important seeds on the far side of the ocean. The ship celebrated its great purpose. It thought, how great of a task, I must be valuable. Look at this great purpose I was given. This is what I was meant to do. So it set sail. On its journey, an unforeseen storm came upon it. It thought it could handle it. It was sure it could handle it, but the storm was much bigger than it planned for. It couldn't control the situation. The ship was wiped out by the storm. It found itself wrecked on some rocks. It couldn't move. It couldn't go anywhere. The great ship was lost in the ocean. As it sat there for a long time, it sat with its failure. Its failure to fulfill its purpose. But something unforeseen happened. Slowly the water seeped into the seeds and they began to germinate and grow. They grew and grew and over time, there was a large forest. One day, another ship came passing by, also broken and floundering from an unforeseen storm. It came to the broken ship island and asked, may I rest here a while? I'm so tired from my journey. The great ship replied, sure, by all means. As the new ship rested, the great ship gave some of its wood to build a shelter for the crew of the other ship. They stayed a while. After they rested and were healed, the new ship left renewed for its journey. Thank you for your hospitality. You really helped me. After a while, another ship came by. That ship also asked if it could rest for a while. It had been bruised and battered in a storm too and needed a place to be. The great ship took some more of its wood and built another shelter for the much larger crew. When it was healed, it also went on its way. This kept happening. New ship after new ship kept coming, all injured by an unforeseen storm and needing a place to be for a while. The great ship realized that it had something to give, a place to rest, and solidarity from being wrecked as well by the unforeseen storms of the great sea. Pretty soon the great ship decided to build a lighthouse so that all ships passing by that way could find a place to be cared for, to rest, and then continue on their journeys. 
Throughout the years, the great ship cared for many, many broken and bruised ships. This was a quizzical mystery to the great ship. Out of its own wreckage and failure, it became a gift to others. It always wondered if this was the purpose all along. people uh, that that parable describes. An unforeseen circumstance or storm came into their life, and that place of discomfort, that place of pain, that place of suffering actually became a place of hope and encouragement and eventually transformation for others. And there's lots of stories at SunWest that we could speak of about that. Um, I want to mention one this morning, we, and I actually talk about this one in our starting point uh, class, uh, but... You know, one of our Sun Westers, her name is Kim, a number of years ago, um, I had the unfortunate privilege of, um, of doing a, a funeral for Kim's daughter. Uh, Kim had a daughter named Tova that was in a car accident and lost her life. Um, obviously a, a huge tragedy, and I had, I had the opportunity to meet uh, Tova on a Mexico trip where we were going and building houses for, for others. And... You know, this is obviously um, a very tragic uh, experience uh, for Kim and, uh, and took a long time for her to journey through, and she continues to journey through, uh, as often happens when tragedy strikes our lives. But as she discovered the God of all comfort, who didn't just take an eraser and say, you know, I'm making that part of your past disappear, it stays with her. But God came alongside of her, his presence came alongside of her and comforted her. And the result of that it continues to bear fruit because uh, Kim actually leads one of our groups, she leads our grief share group, um, where she is providing comfort for other people that are also grieving. Now there, I didn't even ask for permission for this, I, I, don't, know, I don't know if he's here this morning. Em- Emmett, are you here this morning? Is Emmett here? Over here. Thank you, Emmett. Can, can, I, can I just share really briefly part of your story? I meant to find you, and I didn't. Um, I, I asked Kim, and she said it was okay. So if Kim, if, if, you, if you're not okay with it, then you can blame Kim. Okay? Um, but earlier this year, uh, you know, Emmett came from church. He lives close by here to the church, and Emmett had lost his spouse, uh, you know, about a year ago. Am I right, Emmett? Middle of May, um, and um, and I remember praying with Emmett and meeting him on that on that morning that he came and visited. Uh, and what was beautiful is that evening, uh, Kim was leading her grief share group, and I was able to invite Emmett to be a part of that community uh, that was actually uh, experiencing the God of all comfort together, uh, and continues to help uh, bring healing to one another. And, and that is often what happens. These things in our life that we don't want, that these pains, these struggles, uh, these experiences that we would rather avoid, when the God of all comfort comes in with his presence, he actually transforms it not only in our own lives, uh, but he uses our stories to create hope and encouragement for others. Thanks for letting me share that uh, a little bit, Emmett. 
In a world that offers us counterfeit comfort, we need to learn how to embrace divine discomfort. We need to learn how to embrace divine discomfort. And is it, anybody like fried chicken here? A few people love fried chicken. Put up your hand. Nice and high. You like fried, like fr- little KFC fried chicken. Um, anybody like doing squats in here? Less hands are in the air. Uh, why? Because fried chicken, comfort food. Mm, amen. Uh, fried chicken, comfort food. Uh, squats, uncomfortable, right? Um, but yet, if you, if you do one of these one time, you know, if I eat fried chicken one time, I do a squat one time, there, you know, there's no real consequences, good or bad, right? Uh, if I eat fried chicken three times a week, over time, that's going to be, that's not going to be good. Uh, there's going to be results in my life that I wasn't looking for. Uh, but if I do squats three times a week, you know, I'm going to end up looking like Steve Weeb. You guys don't know Steve. He's the guy with those huge legs. Uh, the, but if you do one of these things one time, no big deal. If you do one of these things three times a week, it's a big deal because we know intuitively that when we pursue what's easiest, What's most comfortable, the end result is actually not what we want. If we're willing to actually embrace discomfort and stick with it and be faithful in it, the results can be very fruitful. Discomfort produces something in us. And and this is the irony of our pursuit of comfort, is we want comfort, but when we choose it and we pursue it, we often get the results that we don't want. We don't want discomfort But when it happens in our lives and we submit to God in that process, we get results that we actually long for. Listen to what James says. James says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Pain produces what we want and comfort produces what we don't want. James says, This will test your faith. And this is not like the math tests or the science tests that I repeatedly failed in high school. This is a different type of word. The the word testing here is the Greek word dokimion. And dokimion is the same word to describe what a silversmith would do with raw silver. So you think what a silversmith does, he takes raw silver, he takes, uh, takes the ore, puts it in the pot, and he builds this really, really hot fire and the, the silver would melt, and the impurities that were in the silver, the things that weren't actually intended to be a part of the silver, rise to the surface. And then the silversmith would take a, a dross of silver and scrape it off the top of the silver that was melted, and then he would let it cool. And then he would melt it, and then he would cool it, and melt it and scrape it, the stuff off the top again, and then he would cool it, and he would repeat this process over and over again until the silversmith could actually see his own reflection because the silver was so pure. Now, what if the suffering that you've gone through, what if the pain that, you're, that you've endured can be part of God's way of revealing the selfishness, uh, the sin, the things in our life that actually prevent us from living our best life? What if the pain 
God can actually redeem and use that pain and that struggle to take that stuff out so that we can eventually see the image of our Creator in our own lives. What if we are made more in the image of Jesus through our pain and suffering? Could it be that the heat of the challenge in our lives is the very answer to the prayers that we're praying? The very things that we long for, we actually have to walk through the fire, walk through pain, walk through suffering, walk through hardship in order for that to happen. Maybe you have a child that is seemingly unreachable and you don't know what to do with them and as a parent there's nothing more helpless than that. Maybe you've been paralyzed uh, by a diagnosis that the doctor gave you. Maybe some of you are really struggling in your marriage right now and you've never felt more alone and you don't know what to do. Maybe you find yourself with some kind of behavioral habit or maybe you have a, a, some kind of chemical addiction that you just can't get over and you're struggling and wrestling through and you're suffering through it. You know, what if, what if the thing that you feel like is setting you back is the thing that God is actually using to set you up for the life that he's calling you to live? What if the pain and the suffering that you, you need to walk through is a part of the refining that God's going to do to help you live your best life? The most valuable things in our life often come from the presence of God in the context of pain. From the presence of God in the context of pain. So you can think about your pain, you can think about your suffering, and then you think of the God of all comfort who wants to come and be present in it, and now you have the environment in which life transformation happens. But I think there's still one more element that is needed. And I think we have pain and we have God's presence, but then we combine that with the decision on our part to follow Jesus faithfully, no matter what your story, the end result is transformation in your life. The end result is becoming more like Jesus. Often our pain and our struggle, maybe we can't control that. You know, God chooses to be present with us if we allow him, and that's, that's not something we can change God's mind on. But the thing that we can change is our decision to be faithful and follow Jesus no matter what our story looks like. But in this world of following everyone else, I think it's becoming increasingly difficult to follow Jesus. Why? Because we live in this constant world of comparison. We started uh, this message by talking about this. I want to focus on this for one second. Our struggle for comfort is encouraged by our tendency to compare, and this is just on steroids right now in this world of social media. Everywhere you look, you're looking at everyone else living their best life, and how come everybody else's life looks so much better than yours? How come everybody else's life looks so much easier than yours? So much prettier, so much more beautiful, so much more comfortable, so much, you know, if you're anything like me, you look at everyone else living their best life and you think, man, my life sucks. Comparison is actually the thief of joy. Comparison is actually one of the things that steals our capacity to live the best life that God is calling us to. This is a picture of uh, Peter and John. Two friends, they were friends with Jesus, they were following Jesus. Uh, their friend Jesus got killed, and another friend goes on to check, check on the tomb, and she comes back and tells the friend, uh, Peter and John that the tomb is empty, and these two guys run to see if the news is true. Maybe it is true. 
Maybe Jesus isn't there anymore. And so we got John, who we just, we know, wrote some books. We talked about John a little bit. And, and, and have you read how John talks about himself? Like I mentioned, he writes this about himself, the disciple who Jesus loved. He just like got this arrogant streak that's across all of his letters. The disciple that Jesus loved. He doesn't say, you know, I, John, the humble disciple of Jesus who, uh, you know, he doesn't talk like that. He's like, no, you know, the guy that Jesus loved, that's, that's this guy. Uh, that's how he talks about himself. And so that, that's John. And then we have Peter, and you may know uh, the story of Peter. Peter's super zealous. Uh, he's, you know, he just takes risks and he thinks later, and he ends up denying Jesus three times when Jesus goes to the cross. And Jesus crucified, and then he's resurrected, and the, you know, these friends are having, having breakfast, and Jesus, after the, Peter's denial, the crucifixion, after the resurrection, comes up to Peter and has a conversation with him, and this is what the conversation looks like. Did I tell you the truth? When you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and went whenever, wherever you wanted to go. So this is after Jesus reinstates Peter. They re- he, he brings him back into relationship, has this conversation. But when, and then he says, but when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. Peter, there's something coming that you don't want. There's a pain and suffering that I see in your future. And someone's going to take your hand and lead you there. You're not going to want to go there. And Jesus said this to let him know what kind of death he, uh, what kind of death he was going to have that would glorify God. Then Jesus told him, follow me. Summary, Jesus says, there's pain coming, Peter. You're going to go through some things. Some things, you're not going to like it. It's not going to be easy. But what I want you to focus on is not your pain. I want you to focus on me. Follow me. Now listen to Peter's response. Peter turned around and saw behind them the disciple Jesus loved. That's John writing about himself. In the book of John, uh, Peter saw me. uh, And Peter asked Jesus, what about him, Lord? What about him? Jesus replied, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? As for you, and he repeats it, follow me. And it seems that, you know, maybe you can be two types of followers of Jesus. We look at Peter and John as stereotypes here. You know, the kind that's who's around Jesus, like Peter, who's come to church, he's taking risks, raised his hands in worship, God, I love you, my life is awesome. And then, what about them? What about them? Do you... Jesus, do you like them more than me? Why does their life seem so easy? Why does their life look awesome? Why does mine suck? And, and Peter here loses his focus on Jesus and starts to focus on comparison, comparing himself to John. And as far as I can tell, many of us are doing the exact same thing. We're following Jesus, around Jesus, we're participating in worshiping Jesus, and we have these moments of Jesus, and we always got one eye looking at the side, and we're always thinking, but God, what about them? God says to Peter, don't worry about them. I want you to worry about me. And then there's some of us who could afford to be a little bit more like John and go, oh, I get it. I'm the one that Jesus loves. You know, I don't think John was being arrogant. I think John just knew 
he had his eyes on Jesus and really didn't have his eyes searching elsewhere. He was convinced that Jesus loved him. I get it. I'm the beloved one. I get it. I have, you know, God's eyes are on me and my eyes are on him. You know, the same thing was happening for Peter. Peter was just too worried about looking beside him uh, that he wasn't totally focused on Jesus. See, love wants to pour itself into you. God is love, and he wants to pour his whole being into you, the God of comfort. And we can't receive that love if we secretly hate who God made us to be. We can't receive the love of God when we're always looking beside ourselves, thinking about how much my life sucks. See, God wants to pour his, life into, his love into you, his life into you, and the only container that you have to receive it is the container you're sitting in right now, your body, your life, your story. That is the container that God gave you to receive himself, to receive his love, and you can't receive it if you just hate your life. And so we got to deal with this issue of comparison in our world because Jesus says, stop looking around and worrying about what everybody else thinks because that only leads you to frustration and buying into the lie of this world, the spirit of this age that says, you know, you're missing out on something to have your best life. Follow me. Follow me. If all we want to do is trade this container for somebody else's, then we're going to spend our life not receiving actually the good things that God wants to give us. Bob Goff says, we won't be distracted by comparison if we are captivated with purpose. We won't be distracted by comparison if we're captivated with purpose. If we actually follow Jesus and allow his love into our hearts, and that love compels us, compels us actually into places of discomfort, and we stop worrying about what everybody else is doing in our world because we're focused on following Jesus. Jesus calls us. He says, come follow me. And we look around, and he says, no, I'm not talking to them. I'm talking to you. I'm talking to you. Don't focus on your pain. Focus on the purpose that I'm giving you. Don't compare yourself with others. Look at me. And Jesus knew what he was talking about because he was the one that went to the cross, that endured suffering, and came out the other side. And he said, keep your eyes focused on me. Pain plus the presence of God plus our decision to follow Jesus will result in transformation in our lives. I promise you. He said, if you decide to follow me, allow my presence to permeate your life in the context of your pain, you will become transformed. You'll be, become more Christ-like because of that. And you will become a place where the God of all comfort actually works through you to bring comfort to other people, whatever's going on in their story. People will look at your life and they will, they will see a reflection of Jesus in your life. Now in a moment here, we're going to move towards communion. And uh, the worship team is going to play uh, as we come and take communion. There's, uh, there's four stations. You've got one on each corner and there's also a gluten-free one at the back um, for those who uh, would like that. Jesus, when he was, that last meal he had with John and with Peter and with other disciples, he broke bread and he gave them wine and he gave his, the, the bread and he said, eat this and remember me. Drink this and remember me. The, 
This bread represents my broken body, my suffering, my pain, my discomfort. This blood represents my pain and discomfort, the blood that, that was spilt. I want you, every time you take this, to remember me. And he didn't just tell us that so we could look back 2,000 years ago, hey, that's a nice story, I remember that story. No, he said, remember me, why? Because like Peter, there's going to be things in our life that are uncomfortable, that are painful, that are hurtful. And it's those moments that we actually stop looking beside ourselves, stop comparing our lives to others, and we look to the life of Jesus, to his broken body, his spilled blood, and Jesus says, follow me, remember me. I'm speaking to you as one that has gone through death and out the other side of resurrection, and I promise you, if you keep your eyes on me, regardless of your story, regardless of your struggle, regardless of your pain, and choose to follow me, I will come and transform your life and give you. Now, when we eat this bread and we uh, drink the juice, we are taking a step of faith and saying, you know, I am giving my life to follow Jesus. That's, that's what the symbol means. And I know that not everybody in this room might be in that space, and that's fine. There's no pressure to come to communion table to take it. But if you are in a place of declaring that faith and putting your faith in Jesus and saying, you know what, I'm focusing on Jesus. I'm following him. I'm giving my life to him. This is the most important thing. I'm not chasing carrots, I'm following Jesus. Now, if you're in that place, then I would invite you uh, during the next worship song to come. You'll take a piece of bread, you'll, you'll dip it into the, uh, into the juice. Not your fingers, just the bread. The juice. Uh, and then we invite you to take it right there so you're not dripping juice everywhere. Um, as well, around our communion tables right now, there, our prayer teams are going to be placed as well. And so in each of the four corners, they'll have some prayer team members. If you'd like prayer for anything going on in your life, I'd invite you to take this opportunity now uh, during this worship time to receive prayer. It doesn't have to be long. Last time we did this, I just called it a drive-by prayer. As you're going by, you don't even have to say anything. Just, you know, drive-by window, hey, can you pray for me? You know, they would just love to pray for you. You don't have to share anything if you don't want to. But take this opportunity to identify with Christ. And whatever pain, suffering, discomfort might be in your life, and say, I'm choosing to keep my eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of my faith, one who died, gave his life for me, and resurrected and invited me to experience that same hope. Let me pray. Jesus, we thank you for your life. We thank you that you gave yourself freely for us. We thank you for the power that your resurrection speaks to our current situation. And we know, Lord, that whatever death, suffering, pain, we might be sensing and feeling in our lives that your gospel, your good news actually invites us to keep our eyes on you because in you, there is hope. In you, there is the presence of God. In you is our best life. And we will not buy into the lie that this world tries to, to convince us of that our best life is somewhere out there because you because you created us that our best life is with you. This is eternal life that we may know you and the Son whom you sent, Jesus. So God, we choose to follow. We choose to know you, and we proclaim that now as we partake in communion together. As you come to each table, uh, someone will serve you the bread, and they'll say, this is the body of Christ broken for you. And then you'll take that, and you'll dip it, and they'll say, this is the blood spilled for you. Let's take communion together, and then I'll come up and invite you to close your eyes for a minute and I, I want
want to pray for you. Um, and, uh, and I just want to give you an opportunity to respond as we already did in communion. But um, just invite you, if, if there's something uncomfortable, painful, not easy in your life right now, uh, with your eyes closed, just raise a hand. Um, it says an acknowledgement before God that, you know, inviting His presence and to transform your life in the context of whatever's going on. Allow me to pray for you. Uh, Jesus, we thank you. Thank you, thank you. Lord, that you did not choose comfort. Uh, Lord, but you choose to obey the Father perfectly, even to the point of death on the cross. And Lord, because of your obedience, because of your faithfulness, Lord, that we have hope today. We thank you for your resurrection. So Lord, that we can look through whatever we're looking at in our lives in the context of the cross and know that because of you and because of your goodness, because of your faithfulness, because of your power, when your spirit is in us, that there is nothing that can separate us from your love and that there's nothing, no struggle, no pain, no disease, no addiction, no habit that is beyond redemption because of what you have done. And Lord, whatever struggle we might be walking through, in Jesus' name, I pray that that struggle would be the source of our transformation because of your presence in it. Lord, I pray for courage, and I pray that you would rise faith up in us, Lord, that we would follow you. Lord, that we wouldn't look side to side, that we wouldn't be comparing our lives with others and buying into the lie that we're not living our best life because our best life is with our eyes on you. So Jesus, we just say yes. When you say follow me, we want to say yes to that, Lord. We place our eyes on you, and we leave the transformation process in your hands. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.